This afternoon, I preach to you the Word of God as it is summarized and confessed by the church in Lord's Day 21 of the Heidelberg Catechism. You can find that in the Book of Praise on page 535. We'll read it together. Here the church confesses with this question and answer. What do you believe concerning the Holy Catholic Christian Church? I believe that the Son of God, out of the whole human race, from the beginning of the world to its end, gathers, defends, and preserves for himself by his Spirit and Word in the unity of the true faith, a church chosen to everlasting life. And I believe that I am and forever shall remain a living member of it. What do you understand by the communion of saints? First, that believers all and everyone as members of Christ have communion with him and share in all his treasures and gifts. Second, that everyone is duty-bound to use his gifts readily and cheerfully for the benefit and well-being of the other members. What do you believe concerning the forgiveness of sins? I believe that God, because of Christ's satisfaction, will no more remember my sins, nor my sinful nature, against which I have to struggle all my life, but will graciously grant me the righteousness of Christ, that I may never come into condemnation. Beloved Church of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, Christians who profess their faith in Jesus Christ will place themselves under the supervision of a local faithful church where they live in meaningful fellowship with other Christians. Yet as we gather together in our local church here, Edmonton Emmanuel, We also remember that we are a part of an amazing work of God that is far greater than just our local congregation. Hebrews 12, verses 18 to 29, part of the theme text of the family visits this year, reveals that when we talk about the church, we should be thinking of an assembly of all believers, past and present, together with innumerable angels in festal gathering who are united together by their faith in Jesus Christ, the mediator of a new covenant. We confess that the Son of God has been gathering and defending and preserving His church by His Spirit and Word out of the whole human race, from the beginning of the world to its end, united by this unchanging faith in the same revelation of the one triune God and preserved by God through life and death after conversion so that it is a constantly increasing number. The church has been around on the earth longer than any business or any government or any culture, any nation. The Apostle Peter explains then that as Believers come to Christ, they are being built up 
as a part of an assembly to form a holy or a set-apart nation. And this afternoon we'll specifically look at what we read in 1 Peter 2, verses 4 to 5, where we find an illustration that compares the growth of the church to stones that are being added to an ever-growing spiritual house that rests on the foundation of the cornerstone Jesus Christ. This picture is also reflected in the three questions and answers of Lord's Day 21, which in turn highlight the building of the church, the connection between the stones placed beside one another, and the basis of the assembly on the cornerstone of the forgiveness of our sins in Jesus Christ. And I preach you the gospel of Christ under this theme. The church of Jesus Christ is a spiritual house in an unspiritual world. We'll see that the church is built on the cornerstone, Christ, built up with living stones, Christians, and built for the glory of God. Well, most homes in Western Canada are made with a concrete, concrete foundation and then wooden walls that are built on top of them. The illustration used in Isaiah 28 and Psalm 118, 1 Peter 2, is referring to, a kind, to the kind of homes that are built in other places in the world that consist entirely of cut stones or bricks. If you want to make the comparison, might help you to think of the houses that you are constructing or that maybe you've done and constructed a long time ago out of Lego or Duplo or something similar to that. In cut stone or brick construction, the cornerstone was the first stone to be laid down. It was placed in the lowest part of the building. And in this way, the cornerstone not only bore the weight of the building, but it also determined the line of the two walls that came out of it and the outside edge of the building. When Peter calls the cornerstone of the Psalms and prophets a living stone, he makes it clear that he is talking about our Lord Jesus, whom we read in chapter 1, verse 21, God raised from the dead and gave the glory. As a cornerstone, chosen and precious in God's sight, this living stone, Jesus, is the source of all strength and life in all the spiritual house, in all the church. And then Peter says, as we come to Christ, and as we are united to him by true faith, we may share in the work of the Son of God, who was known before the foundation of the world, and then made manifest in the last times for the sake of believers whom he ransomed by his precious blood, as Peter explains also in these first chapters. Our Christian fellowship, then, is based on the forgiveness of our sins, and it is maintained on the forgiveness of our sins, as we confess that also in Lord's Day 21. In Christ, says Peter, we have truly been born again, not of, imperishable, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding Word of God, the good news that was preached to you. Before anything else in this life, we must come to Him. And that illustration that Peter uses is very important to teach us about the order of God's work in our lives. 
You cannot be built up if you do not first come to Jesus Christ. People often join a church for many different reasons. Maybe it's the kids' programs, or the socializing, or family, or charismatic leaders, or the good feelings. But if they do not come because they love Jesus Christ, believing in His saving work, and wanting to worship Him, then the church membership is futile. If it wasn't the Son of God who gathered you into the church in the unity of true faith, you cannot count on being defended and preserved by Him either. Peter warns this very clearly in the verses we read in verses 7 and 8, that if we reject Jesus Christ as the cornerstone in our lives, He will be a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, and we will stumble because we're actually disobeying the Word as we were destined to do. The honor of being a part of God's spiritual house, in verse 7, is for you who believe. Our membership in the church is based on our faith in Jesus Christ. And the church that believes that Jesus Christ is the source of, of all life, that He is the cornerstone is a church that believes that she is limited by the patterns that our cornerstone, Jesus Christ, established. And so, the church receives all the benefits of depending on His victory. And so is able to be built up on a solid, build, or build up a solid building on the strength of Christ's position. And you can see why so many churches have chosen cornerstone as their name. The assembly and the fellowship of the church is a fruit of our union with Christ, first of all. You can see that if you look at how we confess that also in question and answer 55. That order comes through. First, communion with Christ, and then secondly, communion with one another. That's why people can only have lasting friendships and marriages if they are truly united to Christ, first of all. When you try to build a relationship on anything besides Jesus Christ, whether that be appearances or common interests or common dreams or however you want to fill out your reasons, those relationships can only last as long as those temporary attractions hold their appeal for both of you. Young people, we see the warning. Please choose your friends and choose your life partners based on their faith and commitment to God first of all. Don't just accept a person's profession of faith certificate as an admission ticket to your heart, but wait to see their love for Christ in their desire for purity and kindness, and self-sacrificial love for everyone they meet, not just for, for you, who they might see as a prize. Look for their faithfulness in worship, both in home and at church. And if you are already married and encountering difficulties, know very well that the only way to that true fellowship is by first turning to your Lord Jesus Christ in repentance and faith. He is the cornerstone of our relationships also as believers together. When we are united 
to Christ, the cornerstone, then we can be compared to living stones. The church is built up with living stones, Christians. So what does it mean to be a living stone? Well, the first thing that the Holy Spirit teaches us is that Christians look like Jesus Christ. He is the living stone, and says Peter, we are like living stones. To be a living stone is to reflect the influence of Jesus Christ in all your life. This is a non-negotiable element of being a Christian. It's similar among all Christians in all times and all places in the world. You can see Christians all over. You can recognize them because they are like the living stone. And so they have faith and hope and love for the gospel. And since you have not rejected Christ as the cornerstone in your life, you belong in this eternal kingdom. And you too will live with God in constant fellowship, even as you are busy with your relationships and your work and your worship, your life of prayer and submission to God's Word, and your life of constant praise are helping you to do what Peter tells us to do, to prepare your minds for action. They help you not to be conformed to the passions of former ignorance that we read about in verse 14. A person can see that you are a living stone in the spiritual house of the church when you reflect the righteousness of your Savior Jesus Christ. Peter says to do this by putting away all malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander to long for the pure spiritual milk of the Word of God. At the same time, the big difference between a stone and a Christian is that like their Lord and Savior, Christians are alive and are constantly bringing glory to God through their actions. Just as he who called them is holy, says Peter, Christians too are also holy in all their conduct according to the command of the Lord in Leviticus 11. And they live with fear and reverence before the Father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, we read in 1 Peter 1, verse 17. In our text, there is a very close connection between holy conduct and sincere brotherly love. If you look at 1 Peter 1, verse 22, you can see that. Having our hearts purified by the Spirit who leads us in obedience to God's word and commandments, living stones in the spiritual house of God, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Those words, sincere and earnestly, point to a love that goes beyond mere words and can be seen in the actions that we take. And as we read through this description of the living stone connected to, to Jesus Christ and living in this love with one another, makes us ask the question, are we able to rejoice in the Spirit's work in our lives as we see these very things? Holy conduct, 
Christ-like, self-sacrificial love for your brothers and sisters. Faith, hope, and complete commitment to the spiritual house of God are signs of your union with Christ, the cornerstone. A living stone is transformed by the work of the Spirit, believes, trusts, loves, and worships God in Christ Jesus and loves their fellow Christians. These are the characteristics of the members of Christ's church. And the Son of God is building His church with such living stones. And if you have the opportunity to travel around and, and meet Christians in different parts of the world, you can see how the Lord is doing this amazing work. The Holy Spirit tells us that living stones are being built up as a spiritual house. If we go back to the illustration of building a home out of cut stones or bricks or Lego or Duplo, we can see that the Lord is teaching us that every living stone has a place in the church that Jesus Christ is gathering, defending, and preserving. Although we all share the common characteristics of faith in the cornerstone, Jesus Christ, we don't all have the same role and place in his church. Some of us, you could use the illustration, some of us are, are used by the Son of God as windows and doors. Others as supporting beams and frames. Some as doorsteps. Still others as roof stones. And still others are all just another brick in the wall. Following Paul's teaching in both Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12, there are a variety of gifts. And we confess that everyone is duty-bound, obligated to use his or her gifts readily and cheerfully. Gifts are unique to each person. doesn't matter what your gift is. The point is that the Lord has given it to you to be used in the communion of saints. That's what we confess together. That's what it means to be living stones in the one spiritual house. Although each living stone cannot function on its own outside the building, when the Son of God gives us our place and role, we have a valuable place. In, uh, we're valuable in that place. The entire building suffers if we are not where the Son of God has commanded us to be. It becomes like a house that is missing stones. And so when we are tempted to withdraw from the communion of saints, when we are pressured, to immerse ourselves just in our own blood families and our own businesses rather than to, to reach out and love for God and for our neighbor, we need to remember this illustration of the one spiritual house with every stone in its place. And remember our confession. You yourself say what you believe. I believe that I am and forever shall remain a living member of the church chosen to everlasting life. Again, that question comes to each one of us. How, how am I, how are you acting as a living member of the church of Jesus Christ right now? How is God employing, how are you employing the gifts that God has given that you're obligated to use to serve one another? 
The Holy Spirit gives us a goal and a direction that we can use to test if we are being faithful in the calling that we have received. You see that the church is built for the glory of God. Looking again at 1 Peter 2, verses 4 and 5, we can see that Christians are being built up as a spiritual house for several purposes. You can see that when it says to be in verse 5. You're being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. That's the first thing. The word holy priesthood points to being separate from the world and dedicated to the God whom we represent here on the earth. So the Son of God is, is calling us out of the world to live together in love as fellow citizens of his eternal kingdom so that the name of the Lord might be known in the world and might be glorified by all people. And each one of us can see our place in that purpose. The text before us also gives us several ways that the multi-gifted spiritual house can glorify God. 1 Peter 2 verse 5 continues, the Holy Spirit teaches that the living stones of the spiritual house that the Son of God is building will be offering up spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Spiritual sacrifices are a way of describing the prayers of God's people. As the Old Testament church used to offer up guilt and sin and burnt and grain and fellowship offerings, so the church continues to offer up confession, prayers of confession and dedication, self-dedication and thanksgiving and peace and fellowship prayers to God for themselves and also in intercession for those whom the Lord has placed in our lives. And you can see Paul's command about that in 1 Timothy 2. And so as we look at ourselves and we assess how we are living members of the church of Jesus Christ, we're encouraged to see that one of the first two B's of the church is that the church exists to pray. And every one of us, regardless of our, our health, physical health or abilities, we are all able to, to pray. You are called together by the Lord so that we may pray and pray and pray. The words of 1 Peter 2, verse 4 and 5, are expanded further in 1 Peter 2, verse 9. As the Lord connects whom Christ has made us to be with the purpose of bringing glory to God. And we'll read that together, 1 Peter 2, verse 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that... So that, you could put there, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. The entire church, this spiritual house, has the responsibility of proclaiming the excellencies of our God and Savior. By God's grace, the church may represent the, the glory and the salvation and the love and the mercy of God to a world. It's like a light shining in the darkness. And again, we can, we can see our own role in this as a living stone of that project. We could do this through 
through talking. We do it as a church through preaching and, and having that preaching go out into the community and, and into the world. We can do this through caring for our neighbors, caring about them, and loving them as well. Although we are quick to point out, and we can also think of the, the message this morning, our own weaknesses and our, our lack of, of gifts maybe to, to go out and to, to speak to others. Maybe we lack that, that ability. Maybe we don't have the courage to, to always show mercy on the, the front lines to those around us. We see again that as a spiritual house, each has a role in this one task. And then the Holy Spirit says in verses 11 to 12, that already living a holy life is a testimony to the work of God in our hearts and in the church. And so the Holy Spirit urges every one of us, again, this is something we can all do as believers, is to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against our soul, to keep our conduct among the Gentiles honorable, and to do good deeds that are visible to evildoers so that they may remember your witness on the day of visitation. When we spend our lives in the darkness, the light is always going to be memorable. The last thing that we notice as we reflect on our own lives as living stones and living members of, of this work of, of God is that the whole tenor of the entire passage we read together is not the, the tenor of a, a demanding army sergeant who will not accept any weakness, who calls everyone to, to the same excellence, but rather the Lord gives us a picture of a spiritual house that consists of humble and weak sinners who have been chosen by God out of mere grace. We are a people who have been shown mercy upon mercy. That's part of the excellencies of God that we proclaim. Christians, we confess, have been ransomed by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. We live each day with that blameless and spotless Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, in our minds as the one who purifies us out of mere grace. And so we go humble and dependent on God's grace. We are joined to one another because we are all equally forgiven, purified, made holy by God's grace. We can imagine the, the word forgiven written on our arms, on the arms of every Christian around us. It's a constant reminder of who we are and whom God has joined us to as members of his church. It's a constant reminder, not as a license to commit more sins, but as a reason to glorify God all the more, each and every day, as that spiritual house. May we glorify him with the gifts he has given us for the benefit and the well-being of the other members of Christ's body, to the praise of his glorious name in this world we live in until our Lord returns in glory. Amen.